0: you have your Bible, turn to the book of 2 Samuel, chapter 12, 2 Samuel, chapter 12, and uh, if you were not here on Wednesday or you didn't watch online, I'm going to be doing uh, a second installment of the of, uh, book of Leviticus, uh, and so I hope it'll help you, it'll be on sacred spaces, we talked a little bit about sacred spaces, and we're going to go into depth. Uh, on. Uh, Wednesday night and uh, I hope that will help all of you and you'll start to make the connections into the New Testament there was something that I talked about Wednesday night that I thought you know what I did totally just didn't even explain that but it came to me in the moment where I made the connection so I'll come back this Wednesday on Sacred Space and I'll make that very plain to you okay so um, verse 12 I believe 13 Verse 13 of chapter 12 of 2 Samuel. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan said to David, the Lord also has allowed your sin to pass. You shall not die. However, since by this deed you have shown utter disrespect or contempt for the Lord, the child himself who is born to you shall certainly die. Then Nathan went to his house. Later the Lord struck the child that Uriah's widow bore to David So that he was very sick. David therefore pleaded with God for the child, and David fasted and went all day and night on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him in order to help him up from the ground, but he was unwilling and would not eat food from them. Then it happened on the seventh day that the child died, and David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they said, Behold, while the child was alive, we spoke to him, and he did not listen to us. How then? can we tell him that the child is dead since he might do himself harm but when David saw that his servants were whispering together David perceived the child was dead so David said to his servants is the child dead and they said he is dead so David got up from the ground washed anointed himself changed his clothes and he went to the house of the Lord and worshipped then he went into the house Uh, then he went to his own house and when He asked, they served him food, and he ate. Then his servant said to him, What is this thing you have done? You have fasted and wept for the child while he was alive, but when the child died, you got up and ate food. And he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me, and the child may live. I'm going to preach to you from this subject, severe mercies. Severe mercies. And there's something interesting about our God. And our God is able to be merciful and strict at the same time. He's able to be gracious and hold us accountable at the same time without diminishing His mercy or His justice. He's able to do that. And the writer of Hebrews said, Behold both the goodness and the severity of God. He has both of those in view, that they are, they work together. And in this story, we're going to show you that sometimes we we get mercy. Most times we get mercy. But a lot of times it's a severe mercy. It's still mercy. You're still forgiven. You're still right with God. But there's some things you may set in motion that you have to reap. That you have to reap. Father, we just ask you today in the name of Jesus to bless the word. Your word is already anointed. It's forever settled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but not one word shall ever fail, God. It is in this that we find hope to understand life, our own problems, our own difficulties, our own struggles. Some may be self-imposed, God. We understand through David's life these These lessons that you try to teach us so that we can draw nearer to you and learn from our mistakes. Not only that you are gracious, God, but also, Lord Jesus, that we shouldn't have contempt for your word. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the people of God. We pray that everything that I say would be a blessing to them. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you're seated. Amen. Great to have guests with us. If you're a guest here today, we love and appreciate you. So honored that you chose to worship with us. You're a gentleman and a scholar right there, brother. And understand um, that there is a little bit of COVID breakout, and so it only takes a few who have it, and we have a few, and then everyone they're connected with, unfortunately, has a quarantine, so we just encourage you to take whatever precautions you need to, okay? If that's a mask, if that's getting some distance, if that's being online for a while, I won't tell you what's the best thing to do, but I, but I will tell you it is there, and you're going to see it in the media, but I am not going to give any more time to it because they give enough time to it, okay? <laughs> just, just not. I've done two years of this, and so, you know, but I understand it. I do understand it. So, I mean, if you read this whole story, you understand that David has sinned with Bathsheba, and it's he's really not been in the presence of God for nine months, and then finally Nathan confronts him about his sin and the death of Uriah and the hiding from God and all of that, and what we see here is... A difficult thing and a lot of people want to skip over this story because it's just it just doesn't end happily <laughs> like we always like our fairy tales to end but in the story you have some things that are difficult to understand you have the death of the child at the hand of the Lord so a lot of us want to just back off that totally right don't want to mess with that because it says the Lord struck the child very clearly you have unanswered prayer which we don't like to deal with Because he prayed and fasted and nothing happened, and the baby died anyway. You have the judgment of God, right, on the child, on David. And we'll talk about some of the things that happened to David. You have suffering, right? You have grief. You have a mother who lost her child, and you know. But I want to extract some lessons from this. It, it's many of these things that are the reason people sometimes leave God in church. It's these kind of things. When those kind of things are compounded in their life, a lot of people can go, is this worth it? I prayed, nothing happened. I fasted, I've been serving God, and this has come into my life. And A lot of people, if you don't understand suffering, this will be the end of your relationship with God. It can be the end. Thank God not everyone not not everyone chooses that, but one thing is for certain suffering is going to come to everyone at some point. All right? It's going to come. It's in suffering that we find out what we really believe about God. It's in suffering. That we find out what our true convictions are about Him. Is He our helper? And if He doesn't help us, then we no longer see the need to serve Him. Or is He our Lord and Savior? And regardless what He does, even if suffering comes, He's still worthy of praise. He's still worthy of my devotion. He's still worthy of my faithfulness. Right? Because He's earned that at Calvary. And regardless of what's going in my circumstance, it doesn't change what he's done for me at Calvary. That's the lens through which I view my daily difficulties. If he loved me then, if he was willing to do that for me now, then he's still working on me in spite of what's going on in my life. I want you to think about it for a moment. Picture your life as a big bridge. There's foot traffic, then there's cars, then there's a big Mack truck loaded down with cement crossing over the bridge. How do we find out the integrity of the bridge? The is it engineered right? It's when the heaviest things come that we find out if our structure can stand or fall. Remember, Jesus told this story. He said he told them the parable of a wise man and a foolish man, one who built his house upon the rock and the other upon the sand. He said the storm came in both lives. What was the difference between those two men? One heard the word but did not put it into practice. The other on the rock heard the word and put it into practice, and when the storm came... Right? It didn't affect the structure of his life. It didn't uh, affect the, the direction of his life. It stood the test of time. See, trauma shatters our belief systems and forces us to examine what really is firm in our convictions. I always tell people who are going through trauma and suffering and difficulty, you need to go down before you go out. You need to find out what you cannot move on before you start going wide. You need to go down and find out what is it about God that I truly believe. Is he my assistant or my butler or is he my Lord and my Savior? Right? Is he the one that I ask for help and if he doesn't help, I'm out? Or is he the one that deserves my praise and my worship? Because he's the creator, and he knows better than me, and whether I understand it or not, I trust his wisdom. I trust his wisdom. I trust that whatever is happening to me comes through those nail-scarred hands. That if he allowed it, there's a reason for it, though I may not understand it. See, how did David wind up on the floor broken and fasting for his son's life? David was a man... Who had allowed power to blind him. He had grown cold in the Lord and was just going through the motions spiritually. How did David emerge from the suffering more humble, more reverent, and wiser? Think about that. The David who emerges from the place of suffering is a stronger and a better man, not a worse man. Which tells me all that did was reveal his actual character. Right? It didn't destroy him. It wasn't a load too great for him. And there are three things that David knew about suffering that you better get a hold of. Okay? Number one, what suffering isn't. Number two, what it is and where it leads. You better get a hold of these three things. What it isn't, what it is, and where it leads. So what suffering isn't. Let me say it very clearly. Suffering is not punishment. I, don't, I, don't, I know a lot of us have been taught that. Suffering is not punishment. Punishment is an end in itself. Suffering may be chastening. Chastening is something like affliction that has a greater design, okay, for us to be better, to redeem us, to purge us of iniquity, right? But punishment is an end in and of itself. Suffering is not punishment, Right? Why, how do I know that? Because immediately when David confesses, what does he say in verse 3? God has taken away your sins. So if God has taken away your sins, why would he be punishing for the sins? It's not punishment. Y'all don't believe me, do? Okay. Because a lot of people will put that on you, too. If your life is going bad, you know, we had this couple was in a car accident and stuff. And they went and asked some people. And the people said, well, you probably shouldn't have changed churches. That's it. Yeah, people will put that stuff on you, right? I mean, look, if God hasn't told you that, please be quiet. Please be quiet. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Think about this. If, if. Christ has taken on all of my sin at the cross, past, present, and future. How can he be punishing me for it now? Just help me understand that. If he took my punishment and he took what I deserve, then how is he punishing me now? It doesn't even make any sense. Either he took it or he did not. It's not punishment. Suffering is not punishment. We live in a fallen world. It happens to everybody, the good and the bad. It rains on the unjust. Some good people come down with cancer. It's not punishment, right? Some healthy people who take very care of themselves come down with some death, some disease. It's not punishment. It's we live in a fallen world. It is not the way God intended to be. We're not in the garden anymore. We sinned. sin brought disease and death with it. It's a part of where we live. It's difficult for us to grasp that his son dies and not see his son's death as punishment. Here's what we have to understand. David has total forgiveness, but God still brings him suffering and pain. He will do the same in our lives. You can have right relationship with God, right? And be eternally secure in him about his forgiveness and still have suffering in your life. They don't have to be related. We always want to draw a cause and effect direct line between negativity and our behavior. It's interesting. We never draw a cause and effect line between positivity and our behavior. Isn't that interesting, right? You notice people go, oh, my gosh, how could this be happening? I've been so faithful. I've paid my tithes, and I pray, and I do How could this be happening? And they're surprised. But when blessings come, they don't go, how could this be happening? I don't deserve this. I mean, at least be consistent. If you're going to complain and grumble about the junk, then you ought to go, my God, I don't deserve all this good stuff that's happening in my life either. I don't deserve the health that I've had. I don't deserve the life that I've had. I don't deserve the ministry. I don't deserve the family I've had. At least be consistent. If you're going to be surprised by the bad stuff, be surprised by the good stuff. Because you don't deserve it either. I mean, if we're going to talk about what we deserve, I mean, if you want to talk about it, that means we're all lost forever. If you want to talk about deserve. But everybody with negative things wants to talk about what I deserve. Isn't that interesting? See, see, in our minds, God gives out good for good and bad for bad. We still have the same philosophy as Job's friends in the Old Testament. Right? This was all the way into the New Testament. You remember when Jesus told them it's... Hard for a uh, rich man to enter the kingdom. Hard for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. You know what his disciples said? Who then can be saved? Because they had this mindset that those are the favored people. Those are the blessed people. Those are the good people. That's why good things are happening to them. Right? They had this concept in their mind. See, practicality tells us that if we pattern our lives after good principles, then we will experience more good and vice versa. However, good behavior doesn't shield us from tragedy and suffering. It doesn't. It doesn't. In 2017, I went to the funeral of my father in the gospel's 40-year-old daughter who took her life. A man who preached the gospel most of his life. Taught his kids well. And she took her life. Is that some kind of punishment? In that same year in December, a boy that I would married boy that had been in my youth group killed his nine-year-old son and his five-year-old daughter and turned a gun on himself. I preached his funeral. In January of that year in 2018, a pastor's daughter who'd been raised in the church in her early 30s took her life. And then in late February or early March of that year, a 22-year-old boy in our church succumbed to a brain tumor. All of that happened. Was Was that punishment? You've got to be careful about where way you start thinking about your God. Because you start thinking about your God like he's some vindictive person. See, this, this is, it rains on the just and the unjust. Our impulse is to think God is punishing us when we experience bad things. Right? But I know from reading the book of Job, Job's suffering is not about his sin. I know that for a fact. I can read the book. I know behind the stories. It's not about his sin. Amen. It's about Satan's accusations. It's not about him at all. It's to prove Satan wrong and to prove that what Satan believes about Job is false. This is what I love about God. This is what I love about God. Satan comes to God and accuses one of the saints. You know what God says? You'll have to prove it. I don't believe that about him. Guess what happens in the garden? Satan comes to two saints and tells them, God's holding out on you. God doesn't love you. He's keeping it. Guess what? With just a word, after all the abundance and the blessing of Eden, they believe it. That's us, isn't it? Right? Satan comes to us and said, God's not being faithful to you. God had not kept his word. God did not been good to you. And guess what? We go, you know what? You're right. I'm not going to believe God, on the other hand, believes in us enough to say, hey, if you're going to make an accusation about my child, you better prove it. And I'll let a little, I'll let a little difficulty and a little trouble into their life to prove you wrong and to shut you down. You've got to understand how you respond to suffering will shut the enemy down because he believes you'll quit. He believes you'll throw up your hands. He believes you'll turn your back and run. But God believes you'll be better for it. You'll be stronger for it. You'll be more anointed through it. I've said this before, but it bears repeating. Satan believes he can find your fee or your fear. In 2018, after all those funerals, just having a difficult time. I've told you this story before. I, I wrote out a letter of resignation just as a process of thinking through it. And guess what? What I learned from writing out the letter of resignation is none of them were good reasons. <laughs> had all those funerals, had all that death, had all these people who had lived right, raised their kids right, to have their kids take their own life. And it was just it was just a tough time for me mentally. And God told me, he said, I want you to take out that letter of resignation. He said, had you turned that in, Brent, he said, you would have been what Satan always believed you are. Given enough hell, given enough trouble, given enough difficulty, you'll quit. You only prove what the enemy believes about you. You don't prove what God believes about you. God believes you're going to make it. You're going to endure to the end. God believes that what he started, he's going to finish. Amen. He's not just the author. He's the finisher of my faith. Amen. That he that began a good work in me will complete it until the day of the Lord. And we have to believe that he's working even in the suffering, even in the difficulty, even in the trauma. He's at work on us. And we're going to come out better. So you need one more example? Okay, Jesus was perfect and never sinned and he suffered. Wasn't about his sin. Yep, that's exactly right. It was about ours. See, if you believe that bad things are happening to you because God is punishing you, you will end up with shame, guilt, and self-loathing. Or you will resent suffering because you think you've earned better life and that God owes you good things. If you don't don't know how to deal with suffering, you're going to have difficulty enduring to the end. It's in this kind of response where people walk away from God. Okay, if it's not punishment, then what is it then? What is suffering? Clearly, it's some kind of relationship between David's sin and the suffering he's experiencing. Yes, yes. There is some relationship because verse 15 says the Lord struck the child. Verse 14 says nevertheless because you have shown utter contempt for the word of the Lord. By doing this your child shall die. So there is a connection but it's not punishment. The truth is, David is going to, God is going to use suffering to redeem David. Psalm 119 verse 67 says before I was afflicted I went astray. In other words you do get forgiveness but you've put some things into motion that God can't take back for example let me give you some basic examples if you were to have an affair in your marriage God would forgive you if you ask for forgiveness but that may not save the marriage right if you were to have sex outside of wedlock right God would forgive you for that but you might have a baby on the way and God won't change that So even though there's forgiveness in right relationship, there's some things you have to bear with that decision to teach you to honor the statutes of the Lord, to teach you not to take for granted the forgiveness of God, that yes, there's forgiveness in right relationship, but there's some stuff you put in place you're going to have to carry, right? Right? People all over the world, you know, Ezekiel could tell you this. You can sin and go into prison and, and deal with lots of things. Deal drugs and get forgiveness. And he's right with God now. But still to this day, he probably can't own a gun. Right? Still to this day, can't vote. There are things that come with that. You understand? That is not punishment. That is to teach us not to take for granted the mercy of God. That is to teach us that what causes us to show contempt for the Lord needs to be changed because our status with God can be changed, but it doesn't change our character. It is the things we have to carry after that that changes our character. You with me? All right, let me make it plain. It's a kind of severe mercy that's going to work an awesome redemption in David. You have to understand, David doesn't go to the house of the Lord for nine months. The baby is born when all this comes out. Nine months. He's killed Uriah. He's had an affair. He's married her to try to hide it. He killed Uriah to try to hide it. Obviously, he's not thinking right. Something has to change in his character, not just his status with God. It's a refining fire that will heal and restore David, right? There's some things in his character that's got to be burned off. So when you refine silver, the impurities come to the top and they skim that off. That's called the dross. They skim that off. So you're going to be purer through this. Your motives are going to be pure. How you view God is going to be pure. See, it's through the suffering that God is going to bring out the fruit of forgiveness that God had just given him. The fruit of forgiveness should be a changed life. Not just, oh, great, well, I can do that again and get away with it and not lose my kingdom. That's not what he's trying to teach him. He's trying to teach him, yes, the Lord is merciful, but you set some things in motion you're going to have to deal with. Do you remember... What David said when Nathan told him the story about this stolen little ewe lamb. David said, that man shall repay fourfold. We'll figure this out. David put it in motion. That's what the law said. So David stood with the law and said, that man, which was him, and he didn't know it yet, right, shall repay fourfold. So the baby dies. Amnon is killed by Absalom after he rapes his sister Tamar. Absalom is killed in an insurrection. And then Adonijah is killed by Solomon when he tries to usurp the throne. What I'm trying to tell you is there is mercy, and you will make it to heaven once you're forgiven. But there may be some things you have to deal with in your life because of the seed you've sown. That's still mercy. That's still mercy. He didn't get his kingdom taken away. The Lord has put away your sin. But there's going to be some things you have to carry and you put it in motion. I I want you to understand that. There's balance in there. There's the justice of God here. But there's the mercy of God as well. And they work together to redeem us and change us so that we learn, right, to walk in your statutes. Psalm 119, 71, he said, Before I was when I was afflicted, I learned thy statutes. I I honored them, right? And we have to understand what's going on is for our good. It's not punishment. If I give someone the death penalty, their death is the end of it. But when you're talking about chastening, the, the goal is to purify that person and their character flaws that have caused them to act in such a way. That's the goal. To make them better, more grateful. Forgiveness is not magic. It changes our position for God, but not our character. Something else has to happen to our character. Because we've developed some character flaws that would make us go out, have an affair, kill somebody... instantly. Redemption happens in a process. And often through suffering. Think about that. The change in our character happens through a process. Forgiveness is of the moment. I say, God, I'm sorry I did that. And he said, yes, I'm going to forgive you. I see your sincerity, but you set some things in motion that you're going to have to carry. All right? On your taxes, come to God. God says, Man, I forgive you, but the IRS doesn't, do they? <laughs> now, is that punishment? No. We reap what we sow, right? And understand when you come to the altar and ask God for forgiveness, He forgives you, but what you planted on Saturday night, He doesn't unplug that. You got to reap that, right? What, what, what's, what's the, do, do not be mocked, God is not mocked, whatsoever a man soweth, that also shall he reap, you have to carry that, you have to bear that, you set that in motion, Right? right, you're forgiven, it's through his suffering that God's love and grace will go deep and change him. We come out of Egypt, but it takes a while for Egypt to get out of us. Right? The habits and the ways of thinking that have have taken over his mind, it's going to take a while to get that out of him. Oftentimes, the redemption is accelerated through suffering. Now listen very carefully. Legally, we are free, but spiritually, we can still be in prison. You can be right with God and still have a habit issue that you haven't broken. Come on. Y'all quit acting like y'all all all redeemed here. Act like you're still, right? You know good and well you've asked for forgiveness about that, but it still recurs. That's a character issue, and it might take some difficulty to burn that out of us. (laughs) Suffering leads uh, leads us to freedom. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. He wants us to be fully free, not just legally free, but in our behavior free of that, free of condemnation, free of guilt. Be able to lift our hands and not feel discouragement. God wants us acting like who we are. So he says something about us based on what Christ did. And then he says, I want you to learn to walk in who I've said you are. See, the fire of suffering is bringing out the contempt that David had for the Lord. Remember, Nathan said, because you've had contempt for the word of the Lord. What is that? Contempt. If you're accused of being in contempt of court, that means you don't have any respect for the court. You're out of order. You don't respect its rules and procedures. Contempt is disdain, to dismiss, to diminish. Contempt is the opposite of respect, honor, and service. So even though we don't see anything start happening until this issue with Bathsheba in his heart, he'd start to have contempt. He thought, you know what, I'm the the king. I can do kind of what I want to. I'm in charge here. I don't have to listen to anybody. He started thinking this way before there were any evidence in his behavior. Isn't that the way it starts, right? We start start preparing a justification for the action in advance. Oh, y'all don't want me to get into this, do you? Y'all don't want me to get into this, do you? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. You know that the the argument is over and you said you forgave, but you're just waiting for them to bring it up again because there was a point you didn't make. I told you you didn't want me to go here. And you want to win more than you want reconciliation in your marriage right or you know you and your spouse are, are not getting along and it's no sweetie sweetie time and so you think well since since that's not going good I can look over the fence and I can I can ogle some women or I could go online you know what we do right we build We build the justification in advance. We've already started a thinking process before the behavior ever starts. And that's what God is trying to deal with, his thinking, his contempt of the word of God. He's starting to try to deal with that, all right? David's son dies on the seventh day. You understand what that means? He never had a name. He never was circumcised. He was never in covenant. You know what he say? He said, "Because of your action, your 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 son had no covenant and no no identity. Just like when I found you, Jack. Remember when I found you had no identity? They didn't call you. They didn't think you were worthy of calling. They didn't act like you were one of the sons." He said, I want all the sons. They didn't even call you. I don't know what was going on in your family, but I'm the one who asked for somebody else. I'm the one who reached out and said, get him out of the field. Get that kid you've forgotten about, the one you don't even claim, that little ruddy-faced boy. I called you when you were nobody. Perfect. And now you start to have contempt for the one who elevated you. You with me? I feel the Holy Ghost in that. I'm the one who elevated you. I called you. I sent Samuel to find you. You wouldn't be here in this place if it were not for my grace and my mercy. Yes, there were some things about you I liked, but just because you had a good heart didn't make you worthy of the throne. I lifted you up. I promoted you. I gave you the victory over. I gave you the victory over the giant. You've forgotten where you came from, and so your son. Has to become like you were before I intervened. No identity, no covenant. God is reminding David that before he anointed and chose him, he was a forgotten little boy in the pasture. David had allowed his heart to grow cold and ended up disrespecting his God and his placement. David hadn't arrived. At a place of total disbelief in God, he had arrived at a place where he's loving himself more than the things of God. That his desires, that his wants are more important than the Word of God. And we can all get there. We might not be an agnostic or an atheist, but we've got to the place where we decide what's right and wrong. We decide what we're going to do and to what level we're going to obey. David had allowed his identity as king to become the foundation of his life. He exercised power to the detriment of Bathsheba and Uriah. And who could do anything about it? Well, there's one above you, brother. There's one above you that can do something about it. I heard this story, and I think this may help you understand what's going on. Because we sometimes can't make this distinction between punishment and what's going on in our sin. A dad had given a daughter a lollipop. Then he asked her, which do you love more, our dog or the lollipop? And she said, the lollipop. She's a young girl. He asked her, which do you love more, more, the lollipop or this dollar? And she said, the lollipop. He then asked her, which do you love more, the lollipop or mommy? She immediately said, the lollipop. That's contempt for the mother. Now, I understand she's small, but that's what that is. My present desire, my present enjoyment is now greater than the one who gave me life and nourishes life. We all can fall into where we love the lollytop pop, right, more. It might be sexuality, it might be status, it might be money, it might be relationship. But there's something that we're showing contempt for God. It might be our Health. Let's let that sit there. You know why I do that? And I know y'all get uncomfortable when it's quiet, don't you? Because you're somebody going... <clears throat> yeah. I learned this from Dr. Paul Brand. Dr. Paul Brand worked with leprosy in India and also club-footedness. And so what they would do when they would take a baby who was nursing that had a club foot like this, they have to to put a brace on it, right? So we'll put that baby nursing. The baby would start nursing, and they would turn the foot until he cut his eyes at the doctor. And then they would know, that's where I need to set the brace. Because he said, if the pain overwhelms his desire to eat, the correction is too strong. Pastors have to understand that. If my correction is stronger than the desire to keep eating, I'm destroying my own audience. But a lot of people say, well, "I don't care for hair lips." Everybody, you are you going straight? To-. Well, that's fine for you. See how long they stay and eat, right? It's that, it's, I, I, I don't live like that. That as long as you're here, I don't care if you're backslid. I don't care if you're carnal. I don't care if you're a dumpster fire. As long as you're here, I got a chance at you. If I run you off, you're going to go somewhere else where they're probably not going to preach this truth. So if I can get you here and keep you here, I got a shot at you. The Holy Ghost has a shot at you. We can make some change. Something can happen. So I, I don't care if you look at your phone through the whole service. That's all right. Don't bother me. You're here. Sooner or later, the Holy Ghost is gonna get a hold of you. You're gonna look up, you're gonna hear something. Something's gonna prick your heart. Then we're gonna be moving in the right direction. It's all free, it's not in my notes. So what, what what's what's the baby showing? The little girl, she's showing contempt for her mother. Her mom could ask her, Did the lollipop give you birth? Did the lollipop feed you, comfort you when you were sick, nurse you? Did the lollipop change your diaper? Does the lollipop protect you? No, but that's what happens with us. We get fixated on a lollipop, whatever that is. And we, in, in loving that and giving it room in our life and enjoying it, we show contempt of God who gave us life. It can't sustain life. It is only a temporary enjoyment, and we lift it up to the place where God is. That's idolatry. That's idolatry. See, at the little girl's core, did she really love the lollipop more than her mother? No. But at the moment, at the height of the enjoyment, it seems she did. And that's what happens to us. In our heart of hearts, we don't love that more than God. But at the moment we're involved in it, we are showing that it's more important and more valuable. Than Him who gave us life and who died for us and shed His blood for us. That's contempt, my friend. That's contempt. That has to be, something has to happen in our life to burn that out. Forgiveness won't do that. Forgiveness will put you in right relationship where you can come and pray again. But it won't deal with that. That's what has to happen. How often do you and I arrive at places where the lollipop seems to be getting more out of our lives than God does? And guess what we do? You know what we do? We go, I'll repent tomorrow. You may get right relationship tomorrow. But what you set in motion, you're going to have to deal with. That's, That's the balance of God. Do you understand that? What he wants to teach us is don't go that route. It doesn't go well. And I have to show you that because you believe you can just ask for forgiveness and it's like nothing happened. No, 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 no. No, no, no. You're still going to have to raise that kid you didn't want. Right? People sometimes are forgiven and still on parole. You're forgiven. I was forgiven when I first came back to church. I was forgiven, and I had rejoiced in that forgiven. But guess what? All those people that I didn't pay their credit card, they didn't forgive. I had to reap that. I had to spend the first three years of my marriage trying to get that cleaned up, trying to go back to those people and make restitution in any way I could so that we could get in a place to buy a house. That didn't go away, you understand? That was my irresponsibility. It was still there. Did that mean God didn't love me? No. Was that punishment? No. God loved me and forgave forgive me. And I had a relationship with him, but I had some stuff that I had to fix. You understand this, right? See, it's in the fire of difficulty that we get back at a place where we can see the frivolous things in comparison to God. Because when we're suffering, we're like, God is so important and so valuable and we need Him every hour. Has God ever ripped a lollipop out of your hands? Mm, mm-mm. Mmm, Mm. Yes, sir. He said, listen, I've watched you lick on that thing for a while and try to draw spiritual sustenance and eternal sustenance from that temporary thing. And he said, I'm starting to get jealous. He said, it didn't die for you. It won't protect you. It won't answer your prayers. It'll make you feel good for a few moments. But it doesn't have your best interest in mind. It may may ruin your life. It may ruin your career. It may ruin your testimony. But you're not worried about that right now because you think it feels good. 1 Peter 4:12 through 13 Dear friends do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you but rejoice in as much as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed Do not think it strange cuz saying the fire See that's when God rips the lollipop out of your hand when suffering comes That's when he rips it out and he says, why do you think this is strange? Why do you think this is weird? This is the process that I make your character holy. I can make you right in a moment, but to make your character and your thinking right, it may take me some time. Why would they be surprised? Because they forgot who they are. God took them from nothing and made them something and they forgot who God was. We are surprised at suffering when we think our lives are about comfort instead of being used for his glory. suffering takes the eyes out of us it's removing whatever it was that made us think why me see fire refines gold if you want to make gold pure you have to put it through the fire if you want to make saints pure more faithful more holy sometimes we got to go through the fire and nobody's going thank God for the fire you understand that but the fire is not going to hurt you. It's not going to wound your relationship with God. It's going to hurt the stuff that's unusual, right? In the fire, God is going to discern between the real stuff and the chef and the unusable stuff. It's in God's grace that he doesn't allow us to get more attached to our lollipops than we are attached to him. The people around David thought that that David was on the floor, was going to be worse when he got up off the floor. Now watch how this fire made him better and where it led. That's not what happened. Something happens in the fire that drove David deeper into God. He got up better than when he fell, right? It was in the fire that uh, that he no doubt began to remember the God of the lion and the bear. The God of the giant, the God who anointed him. The suffering was a rebirth of power and goodness of God in his life. Out of death, out of the death of that son, came life to him. Out of fasting came rebirth. Out of misery came hope. Out of death comes resurrection. And out of darkness comes life. Watch this. They said, said, what are you doing? We couldn't consult. We couldn't get you to eat anything. You were so distraught over this baby, and now the baby's gone, and you got up, and you're better. What's going on? And he says in verse 22, while the child was alive, I fasted and wept. For I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me that the child may live. He didn't expect God to be fair. He said, maybe he'll be gracious. He didn't say. He said, I don't know. I believe in His graciousness. And because He hasn't made a decision yet, I'm going to appeal to His graciousness. I don't want fairness. <laughs> Who knows whether He'll be gracious to me, right? The contempt is gone. The bravado is gone. The pride is gone. Now a humble person says, I didn't know what God would decide. But I knew His character and I wanted to give Him a chance to be gracious. He's decided now. I trust that. I trust that. It's not that I'm not sad for my son, but God has decided. And I can't do anything but go to him now. Think about this. The guy that first exploited Bathsheba now goes to comfort her. The man who first took her and shamed her now leaves and goes to comfort his wife. He's a changed man. He's not an exploiter. He's not a user. Something has changed about David in this process, not just his status, but his character. Notice where suffering leads. Notice that the first place David goes when he gets up, he doesn't go to his house first, he goes to the house of God and worships. (laughs) That's where suffering should lead. If you understand it, we should go to the house of the God, not not away from it. We shouldn't be missing it. We should go to it. You're not going to get better away from it. You're going to get better in his presence, right? Remember, David had some, some, some strange thinking. He said, when I consider the prosperity of the wicked. He said, my foot well and I slipped. He said, I'm thinking about this. Here I am doing the right things and the good things. And these guys over here, scandalous injustice, and and, and they're doing well. What was the remedy? Then I went into the house of the Lord, and I considered their end. He said, I got perspective in the presence of God. I didn't get it outside of there while I was thinking. But when I went into his presence, I got perspective. And I understand there's a reward for the righteous. There's a reward for those who say no to the flesh. And God is going to give it eternally. And he's going to deal with them. So I don't have to have fairness in this life. Because I'm getting something I don't deserve eternally. Where do you go? Where you go when you hurt matters. I'm gonna tell you, you lay out for a year, it's not gonna make you closer to God. I can't get this through to people's mind. Come to the person who offended you. Tell them, you hurt me, you let me down. Try to make it right. But holding that in you for a year right and then using some other excuse it doesn't make it better it gets worse you understand time doesn't heal all things it makes resentment worse then what you do is you go see there they haven't called either right see there nobody's reached out to me I knew I knew I wasn't important there right well sometimes when you miss enough we assume you don't want to be here Right, and, and remember this. Understand this. you, you got to get a hold of this. And I'm, I'm not throwing any stones at anybody. I'm just trying to help you with suffering because it's going to happen. And where you go when it hurts matters. How you handle that. Where you find relief. Do you go to your family or do you go to the house of God? Do you go to your friends and get misery to love company? Or do you go to the house of God? What do you do when you get hurt, when you get let down? You to quit on God? What are you going to do? You have to understand this, too. Remember, remember what the Bible tells us, you know. When you have someone who's unresponsive, when you're reaching out, right? When God sent out the 70, he said, if they don't bid you welcome in the house, right? Shake the dust off your feet. So we're also, it's not unloving sometimes if we're reaching out and It's getting rebuffed that we think, you know what? I need to spend some time with someone who's responsive. The Bible says also, don't cast your pearls before swine. If they don't value the love they're getting, if they don't value the encouragement they're getting. All right? So we're following principle there. Right? Because we always think, I, I believe you always err on the side of love. But at a certain point, whatever you do when you suffer don't stop worshiping when you don't feel like it go to the house of God when you're angry go to the house of God amen when you're mad go to the house of God when you're in resentment go to the house of God that'll give you perspective it's in his presence that you get perspective when you feel like nobody loves you go to the house of God and God will remind you that he loves you go to the house of God that's how you survive But God does redeem too. There is severe mercy. But David has another son with Bathsheba. And his name is Solomon. And his name is Solomon. You know what I found interesting? Even in that story I read today. Never mentions Bathsheba's name. It said she that was Uriah's wife. Go to Matthew chapter 1 and read it again. It says the same thing in the New Testament. Never mentions her name. She that was Uriah's wife interesting huh so you're around human people okay you have a human pastor (laughs) he fails he falls short right when you fall short I try to give you mercy I try to assume the best even when it looks bad (laughs) right I try to assume the best you're around people who mess up. They speak when they, before they think, right? They may miss you on the way in from church, and you think they did it purposefully. They probably didn't. They probably just missed you. But this is the body of Christ. And the reason we don't talk about the body of Christ, because it's sacred space when we gather together. The reason I can't talk about my brother or sister, because they are the temple of God. And he that defiles the temple of God, him shall God destroy. You understand? The reason I can't just hammer down on somebody verbally is because they house the presence of God if they're born again. I can't do that. Father, I just pray in Jesus' name that you would just minister to us. Because we're suffering. We're suffering through a pandemic. We're suffering through sickness. We're suffering through an economy that has a backlog, a government overreach, all kinds of things. We're struggling in this economy and spiritually And right now we're very sensitive to any kind of offense or difficulty. And Lord, if we're going to make it, we have to understand that some suffering, some difficulty is to burn out of us some stuff that's accumulated in our character. We are forgiven. We are loved. God, you've got to help us in this day and age. Not to come attached to our lollipops and created things. To give us pleasure, I made a. You stand with me. I made a quote. I don't know if I can, if I can give it to you the way it was given. But I read this quote time ago, and uh, the the man used a, a baby sucking his thumb as an example. And he said. A baby sucks its thumb for comfort, but its greatest nourishment doesn't come from its thumb. Right. It's for comfort alone. It makes me feel safe, but I don't get any nourishment from that. That make you feel safe, that make you feel sustained, but there's no sustenance in it. No eternal sustenance. if we're seeking those things outside the will of God sometimes God has to come in and take that from us and allow a little difficulty a little trouble a little trial in our life because we got our value systems off we forgot who saved us and who washed us and at what price and all of a sudden this little side issue over here is more important than the God and the body of Christ who loved us when we came in Loved us and helped us in our struggle and our difficulty. All of a sudden, the side issue is more.